0: It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Right Conversations. We are having a conversation about erotica today with Dr. Lindsay Harper. And I am so excited for you to meet this human, for you to hear about the company that she founded and um, get into this awesome subject that I don't think is talked about enough. Uh, So welcome to the show, Dr. Lindsay well, thank you. I'm so
1: happy to be here. I'm, you know, such a huge fan and always love hanging out with you, whether we're recording or not. Um, Same. And thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. It's, it's truly the pleasure is all mine. And I'm so excited for everybody to, to hear you. Um, tell us who you are, what you do, what lights you up and this amazing company that you founded. All, all oh. the things.
1: Well, thanks um, so my I'm Lindsay Harper I live in Dallas and my background is that I'm an OBGYN, um and I love women's health. I'm obsessed and just love taking care of women love hanging out like love talking, love getting into like the deep stuff um, and uh, so I always knew that I wanted to be a physician went to medical school and then residency, And really discovered my passion for OBGYN when I found out that you got to have a lifelong connection with women, which is unique for Mm -hmm. many medical fields. But then also there's a surgical and a procedural aspect. I love surgery and, you know, like being very active on the job. Um, And so dove right in, always thought I would have a very traditional path. Um, I was in after residency I was in private practice for eight years and really started to just kind of pick up on some things. I uh, married an entrepreneur and so he kind of helped to train my brain a little differently about just my interaction with the world and the possibilities for my place in it, and um always you know talking about looking for specific problems that maybe you're uniquely positioned to solve. And so when I started kind of thinking in that way, there were lots of problems (laughs) in women's health. There still are lots of problems to be solved, lots of innovations needed. Um, But one of them that was, you know, very persistent in my life was this idea that my patients were having a lot of difficulties with sexual function, dysfunction, Mm. uh, just like this whole aspect of their lives. And I had had literally zero training. I had no idea how to help my patients. Um, but they kept trusting me with this information, even though I wasn't really good at asking them about it. And I was like, man, I just really feel like I'm dropping the ball on this. You know, like I can do the things I was trained to do, but I wasn't even trained to do this. And so I started looking into it and I learned that 43% of women have a sexual health concern. And in that I'm including desire, arousal, orgasm, lubrication, not even pain, yeah. um, which is a, a giant, you know, uh, group of women and people as well. And I was like, oh my gosh, like when we look at the field for men's sexual health, there are so many, you know, there's so much physician training. In fact, as a medical student, which is like what you consider basic training, I spent two weeks in an erectile dysfunction clinic at the VA. This is, you know, obviously a federally funded, you know, institution where I am getting trained as a medical student, even though I didn't know at the time, but I'm going into women's health. So my point is, is that it's part of the psyche training, sort of like, and, and landscape for men's health, but it's not that way for women's health. And that just really, that, when you ask what lights me up, that freaking lit me up. I'm like, what are we talking about? That this, that men are entitled to, you know, erections and, and pleasure and women are entitled to reproduction and, you know, oncology treatment. Like, where are we right. in terms of our sexual health? And so, that really made me mad. And so I joined and became a fellow of the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health and learned that, in fact, there are lots of evidence-based ways to help women with sexual problems. It's just that we don't talk about them because we as a medical community don't. Ever surface these issues with our patients, they then internalize that they must be the only ones with these problems, or else their OBGYN would surely know and ask right. them about what to do, right? But there's there's silence in the in the world, there's silence in the culture, there's silence in the medical community. And that silence is really taken on by us individually as women to mean that our problems either must be isolated to us or that they're not that important. To begin with. And so that really takes a kernel of a very solvable problem and compounds it under this grime and dirt that needed to be excavated. And I know that's so much of the work that you do and that I'm so passionate about. And so anyway, out of that came Rosie. Rosie is a women's sexual health platform that I started about four years ago. It's an app that everybody can download on their phone. Um, There's free versions and there's paid versions. And basically we built a multidisciplinary community for evidence-based resources around sexual health. So that includes a ton of education, including by yourself. That includes a library of erotica, which we're obsessed with. And so are our users that includes a peer community and also coaching and workshops as well. Um, so, you know, we've, uh, helped over 200,000 women We're recommended by more than 11% of U.S. OBGYNs. Okay. Um, and we're just getting started, you know, there's so much work to do and there's yeah. so many women that need help, so many people that need help. And, uh, we're thrilled to be on this journey with all of the other advocates, uh, who are hard at work, um, like you.
0: So, Ugh it's, uh, it. I felt my blood start to boil when you were talking about the clinic for erectile dysfunction, and yet knowing that there is such a lack of education around vaginal functioning and dysfunctioning, like as a any human in the world is really taught, like go to your doctor, right? Like right. that's if if there's something going on, go to your doctor, and even myself as a therapist, will often send people to their OBGYN first. Like, let's make sure that all the physical stuff is ruled out before we start talking about, you know, what could be going on psychologically. And it infuriates me to continually learn over and over again that there is such a lack of education for people going into gynecology around vaginal functioning. I mean,
1: it's unbelievable. Whenever I started learning about this and like really deep diving, like beyond, (laughs) beyond anything I knew sort of culturally, I was, you know, 38 years old and I was a gynecologist. And I told my friend Lori Mintz, who's a sex therapist and author of becoming Cliterate* and a tired woman's guide to passionate sex. I learned more from her books than I had ever learned anywhere in my life. And I'm like, that is I mean, I love Lori. She's extremely talented and we were, we, you know, speak a lot together now, but like the fact that I'm learning from like a lay person's book more than I ever, ever knew as a gynecologist, as a 38 year old woman, it's like absolutely insane. And, and I mean, the, the, um, I could go on, we could do a whole podcast about this and we don't, we don't need to, but, um, The disparities are grotesque when it comes to training for men's sexual health versus women's sexual health. I think there's lots of reasons for that. But some other ones that come to mind are that there are 26 FDA-approved medications for men's sexual problems. There's two for women, neither of which are covered by insurance. Um, Penile implants for men are covered by Medicare, which is the government-funded you know, care for people over 65, that penile implants, right? So this is if your ED medicine fails, you can get a penile implant to help with your erections. Like oh. we are not even allowed to say vulva and vagina publicly in ads or on the news. Like i you know, it's absolutely unbelievable when you first start learning about all of it. And the other point that I, that I really like to call out here because in women's health, particularly you know, I sit in a, in a, I'm happy that I have this, this context, but it is unique and that I am a physician, but I'm also an innovator and I see both sides, right? There's a lot of innovators who are very mad at OBGYNs generally because we don't have this information, right? Like we, we aren't well-trained in menopause. We're not well-trained in sexual function. We're not well-trained in vulvar disease. Like there are so many gaps in our education but I like to highlight that really it's a systems issue. We can take it on ourselves to become more educated, obviously, as we should and as many of us have. But the system itself, women's health wasn't built by women. It was built by men. And they're going to build for things that they that rise to their list of priorities, right? That's where the research dollars are going to be spent. That's where the insurance you know, reimbursement is going to be. That's yep. where the training is going to be. And so that is heavily obstetrics infertility, you know, uh, oncology. And I mean, we get tons of that in training, but when it comes to issues that matter to us as women, and even as women gynecologists, we are just now, uh, you know, really owning a state of power and agency within women's health as women physicians. To be able to change that, you know, fundamentally from a research perspective, because that's where it all starts, but then translating that into clinical medicine and clinical practice in an evidence-based way. And so it's a little bit of in defense of doctors, but not in a a shirking responsibility way in a these changes take decades. We are not moving fast enough, but I think the sooner we can realize these systematic problems, the better we'll be at doing something
0: about them. No, that makes perfect sense. So the first place where my brain went hearing all of this is I totally hear the linking to workshops, education, all of these things that like are the lack, right? To to teach people through something like an app. How did erotica come into play yeah. with
1: it? It's so crazy because I mean, I never in a thousand people are like, oh, you run an erotica platform? And I'm like, well, kind <laughs> of. Um, But here's the deal, like my doctor brain, whenever I'm, you know, putting something together, I'm like, oh, well, if it's evidence based, and we can do it on an app, well, we're going to do it. And let me just tell you that erotica has as strong of data as really anything in women's sexual health, including pharmaceuticals, and uh, when it for desire and orgasm and lubrication. And, you know, I'm like, well, people don't really, I mean, there's two different camps, I guess. People want a magic bullet, right? They would rather kind of take a pill and have all their problems solved. But I think that for fundamental change, people really have to understand the, you know, what's going on and then also start to change their, the way that their brains are wired and work, and erotica is such a cool way to do that. I have really come to appreciate erotica for its role in women's sexual health through this experience, um, and now we have our own data which we published about its efficacy. Um, you know, for women on the platform, so there's it's more than meets the eye. It's a lot of fun. It's a super sticky part of the pro- product. For lack of a uh, that's a little euphemism there, but um, <laughs> it it works. Um, and that's why it's in there. And we and we knew that before we started because other people had published that work. And now we've been able to to show that out as well.
0: So cool. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. If someone doesn't know or has a general idea of what erotica is, how would yeah. you explain it, define it for anyone who just doesn't know?
1: Yeah, a lot. Of, I think there's probably wide definitions of erotica and it could a lot of things can fall under the umbrella of erotica. Many people think we're talking about porn, which to me, whenever I say porn, I mean like a like something with like a video, right? Like I'm yeah, watching yeah. someone else have sex or have a sexual, you know, exploration. And then to me, to Rosie, what erotica means is written stories about sex. And and for us, it's a very wide experience because we are passionate about really tailoring our erotica to the individual person. And so we have three different um, what we call spice levels. Spice level one is like the notebook. <laughs> We're really <laughs> trying to just get sex on the brain with erotica. And some people are actually extremely uncomfortable with erotica. It makes them feel like they're cheating on their partner, makes them feel very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in their skin. And, but what we know is that sometimes these are the people that need help the most, right? They need to understand that there is no judgment. You're reading words. It doesn't mean anything about you or your future or your commitment to your partnership or anything like that, or your self-identity. It's you reading words and your body may or may not have a response. So what we, and this actually came from like a very early day user test with a group of my patients from my office. And I had like, so it was early days of Rosie and we had big user tests. And I mean, these are, these are people that took two hours out of their day to come and meet with me about my baby that I then eventually left them all for. (laughs) So I'm just like eternally, eternally grateful to these women and um anyway it was such a wonderful afternoon but one of them afterwards who i knew so well we had, had three babies together and including a loss like we were very bonded and she was like i love what you're doing i appreciate it so much but whenever i was reading erotica i was sick to my stomach and i felt like i was cheating on my partner and i was like oh i was like i'm so sorry i did not anticipate that response like i yeah. never would ever want to put you in that situation and so that really informed how we encourage the people on the platform to control their experience right so that led to the three spice levels that led to very clear um communication of the different genres so that you could pick and choose according to what you were comfortable with because we're all trying to accomplish the same goal which is your sort of sexual health wellness agency and if we're coming out of the gate expecting everyone to fit into our definition of whatever that whatever we're talking about feminism or you know sexual free free like uh sexual freedom sexual exploration that's not what we're there for we're there to to meet women where they are and to take them on a journey that leads them to where they want to be and so for us that means that from every aspect of the product we don't build for ourselves we build for you know the people on the platform and that represents a really wide array of of women who need help. So our erotica, we've tried to build it in a way that depicts that commitment.
0: What do you think it is about, because I have my own theories on this, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. What do you think it is about reading erotica that creates a response of, I'm cheating on my partner?
1: Yeah. I don't, honestly, I cannot identify with that feeling. What I have heard from you know, other people is that they think that any sexual thoughts or fantasies outside of their immediate relationship is a form of cheating. And so, you know, we've we've talked about all kinds of creative ways from a product perspective to address that and, and have lots of, you know, cool things uh, that we're working on. But I think that we're taught that, you know, if we are in a certain context, whether it's religion or monogamy or whatever the rules are, yeah. that if we sort of are blurring those lines in any way that we are doing something wrong. And I think it's it's all about the communication of, you know, what we should, and I'm using air quotes, be doing and, and how we internalize that as what's okay and what's not okay. I don't think it's actually like an innate, like you know uh like natural if you will like uh feeling personally but i mean honestly i'm sure we could have like a very lively debate with someone who thinks otherwise about why they think how they do you know what i mean and and what's important for me is how our users how our users feel much more so than how i feel right
0: If you experience recurrent BV or yeast infections or struggle with vaginal symptoms like odor, discharge, pain with sex or more, you are not alone and you should totally test your vaginal microbiome with EVI. EVI has developed the world's first at home vaginal microbiome test and screens for more than 700 bacteria and fungi with a single swab, including those related to symptoms and infections. EVI also offers free one on one vaginal health coaching and innovative prescription treatment programs developed just for you by a provider. You can order your vaginal health test today at evvy.com, that's E-V-V-Y.com, and use code RACHEL10 for $10 off your first test. I love that you brought up monogamy and religion because I think that there are some things that whether it's an overt statement of shoulds or um, an implicit kind of societal norm should. Right there are conversations that aren't had because things are assumed. And that's one of the things that I love about kind of utilizing tools that I teach folks in non-monogamous relationships Mm -hmm. to apply in monogamous relationships. Like in non-monogamy, we have to have conversations around what is cheating? What are our relationship agreements? What can help us both feel safe? Like these conversations are required in order yeah. to literally function on a day-to-day basis and with so many monogamous couples that I've worked with when I ask them the question of like you know well when did you have a conversation about what cheating is the response is often like uh never yeah and there's just like this assumption that both people are on the exact same page you know they know what it is what it's not and that's almost never, I don't like using always and never, but almost sure. never the case. Right, And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people internalize these messages and then make it true without right. even talking to their partner. And this norm in our culture of like, once we're in a committed monogamous relationship, our sexual self is somehow no longer. It is only us in relation to this other person. Yeah. Instead of like prioritizing our sexual relationship with ourselves so that we can then share it with mm-hmm. this other person. And again, this is something in non-monogamy that's like a fundamental principle, but with monogamy it's not and I I really love taking the tools, you know, from the non-monogamy land and like helping folks who are in monogamy land Implement them to to strengthen this, and I just yeah, it's like it's fascinating to me. I've heard people say like, if I go masturbate, I feel like I'm cheating on my partner. Oh yeah, and it's, it's like whatever. you're alone, you're literally yeah. by yourself yeah. with you. <laughs> like if you go to the grocery store without your partner, but like you like to go with your partner, are you cheating? And like maybe you are. Maybe maybe that's yeah. a relationship maybe agreement so. you come up with, but yeah. like without ever having the conversation it just, it makes my heart so sad that there are people listening to this that yeah. have this feeling that they're betraying this person that they love by exploring themselves sexually and reading a story.
1: Right. Well, I think the fundamental thing that's missing for so many people and maybe maybe people who come to non-monogamy or say clearly communicated monogamy later is is this idea of finding one sense of sexual self independently of anyone else yep, I think that's what's missing for most women particularly and and maybe men are forced, you know, societally or culturally to blur that line when they are in a monogamous relationship or whatever. but I think we don't ever get we're never granted the permission, nor does anyone model for us how to form that identity first and foremost before we are in relationships or before these expectations are then accepted by us or put upon us. So without that individual sense of identity, of sexual identity, it's really difficult to then reclaim it at some later time when it's supposedly sort of shared only with this other partner, you know? So I think, you know, the, the more, and I know that we're on completely all the same pages, but the more we can do sort of earlier on to teach everyone to, to talk about their bodies, to understand pleasure, to, you know, uh, talk all about and understand consent from all angles. Like these are the fundamental, like, building blocks to sort of that healthier communication and and sense of you know sexual self identity later in life that that can persist throughout these you know what what you might think if you haven't been trained to be challenging conversations but once you once you're in your own skin and you've had this modeled for you like i know we all believe that all of this is possible for everyone
0: yeah yeah so, okay, I have a kind of controversial question to ask you that okay. came up when you were saying, like, this encouragement of exploring our own bodies and having this relationship with our sexual selves. Yeah. How can parents encourage their kids to explore their own bodies and yeah. have this sexual relationship with self at an age appropriate way totally like yeah, I'll just leave it there uh, yeah absolutely, yeah, I mean, this is such a huge
1: topic, and actually we have specific you know training, if you will, or sort of like thought work about it on the platform um because it comes we have so many parents on the platform and they come to this you know, sense of increased identity and, and maybe self-actualization. And they want that for their kids, right? They want right. to pass that on. They don't want to repeat maybe the mistakes that were made with them. We all know we're making mistakes as parents, but we at least don't want to make the same ones that were Yeah, made exactly,
0: with us, you know? exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> and so we talk a lot about this and I've learned so much from our community. Um, and I, you know, there's so many different ways to communicate. I think number one you have to really do self work on shedding your own sense of sexual shame because without that then it's really hard to confer and have and a, a different idea to someone that's paying attention literally to your every move do you know what i mean like they know if we're trying to shut down the conversation prematurely if we're trying to have one you know conversation about sex when they are about to go through puberty like they are reading from us exactly what we're putting out there, and if we are really uncomfortable and not not feeling up to the you know the conversation, they feel that and they're not going to bring it up either, and they're going to kind of go down the same path as we did. Yeah. So what I've learned is it's it's just like anything else. Say we're talking about physical safety in the world, where you want your children to be aware but also friendly, and you want to teach them about you know m- <laughs> mitigating risk and. In- In unsafe situations. Like we don't have that conversation once when they're, you know, seven and want to go to the park. We have that conversation when they're two. And don't, you know, like if someone comes and asks you to come see their puppy, that's not what we're gonna do today. We're not telling them about like, you know, child molesters at age two. Like we're we're sharing information that's age appropriate many, 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 many times, maybe even weekly, you know, and that's the same exact sort of context in which we have to share. Exactly. We yeah. have to share sexual information. And that doesn't mean like, you know, we're talking about explicit sex all the time. It just means we're talking, we recognize sex as a part of life. And these are issues that are going to come up for you over and over and over again. Let me as your parent help you navigate this what may appear to be you know complicating factor but also is such a beautiful part right and so that starts when we're little about naming our body parts correctly and that starts when little kids because kids often masturbate. How do we talk to kids when we, when we know that they're masturbating, you know, there's ways to do that in a shame free sex positive way that, that still provides boundaries and helps them to understand, Hey, like that. I understand that feels good. That's a normal part of being a human. And I'm happy that you understand that. And let's, you know, go to your room when you feel like, you know, touching your vulva or touching your penis or whatever. And that way we can offer them a safe place for that. They can understand societal expectations, but we're not shutting it down and telling them they're going to go blind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's yeah. not, we're not separating them from their bodies.
0: Or um, even the like, get your hand out of your pant. Like just yeah, that, like-, like-
1: Almost like projecting
0: the, the shame onto them. Onto
1: them. And that happens all the time, but we don't, we do it, I believe, subconsciously because we have so much shame that we of were course. taught and carry, right? And then as they get older, obviously teaching them facts about their bodies and, and reproduction and truly, you know, sex for reproduction, but also sex for pleasure and how, and, and, you know, navigating relationships with sexual aspects. So there's a whole, I think if we think about it, like we might think something else like personal physical safety in the world or making healthy nutrition and, and activity choices, or, you know, it's just like any of those things where we get a certain amount of time with our children for a very, you know, intense Training period, and what are our goals for them when we leave the house? And hopefully, one of them is sort of sexual agency, understanding pleasure, consent, and communication. And and the steps to get there are along the way, but they happen very naturally if you're open to it, and if you've kind of done the, your own self work, which is really the hardest part, um, because once you've kind of cracked that nut. I keep making like really weird references, but, um, <laughs> that, you know, that stuff comes a little I love bit it. It I love more it. naturally,
0: <laughs> you know, it's so interesting. Cause, and I, I think back to when I was younger and there were certain books that I read at certain ages that like definitely elicited some psychological oh, yeah. and physiological responses similar to if I were to read erotica today as an adult. Yeah. And like, they certainly weren't classified as like, you know, kid erotica. That was not what was going on. But like, because of where my brain was at or, you know, exploring certain things or having certain thoughts, it would be like a kiss, you know, like a kiss in a book or or I remember when the gossip girl series first came out. Yeah. I like, I stayed up till like four in the morning under my covers, reading the first (laughs) book. I was like, this is the hottest thing I've ever read in my life. And like, it was so exciting. I felt like I was, you know, learning so much and like, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, that's a totally
1: normal part, right though. It's just like anybody's coming of age. It's like, you could something that was not sexual one day becomes completely sexual the next day because of the changes in your own body, really from a hormonal standpoint. And that's, that's totally normal. You know what I mean? It's like, that's a part of growing up that once again can be talked about in a positive normalizing way. You know what I mean? And if you read really any quote unquote young adult novel, there's sex in all of those, you know what I'm saying? And so for us to to think that our kids are not, I mean, maybe some people don't allow their kids to read young adult novels, but I I think it's everywhere. And so the more that you can help them contextualize, the better, you know?
0: Yeah. Why do you think that it's an 18 legal thing for porn and erotica and like even my Instagram, right? Like Sure, uh, and risy, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. and th- these are educational platforms, right? Like, I we're sure. we're not posting like, not that there's anything wrong with posting anything explicit or salacious, but like, we're we're not posting that stuff, right? And yet, we still have to have for legal reasons this like setting on the back end of you must be eighteen to view this profile. Why? Yeah. Do, why do you think that is? I mean,
1: I think it's kind of human nature to want to, especially from a, like a large scale perspective to try to make things clean and put a box. Right. And I think yeah. that for many people, 18, for whatever reason, anyone ever decided that was, um, is like, all right, well, you're on your own kid, you know, yeah. and it's like, okay, read whatever you want. World of porn. Yeah. It's like, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so I think that it's honestly, it's just probably like a clean legal way to do things. I don't think it, there's really a lot of, uh, you know, psychology thought work put into that. Um, I think it's more just like CYA and also what's a better, what's a better way to do it from a legal perspective. I don't think anyone knows or yeah. has probably put a lot of thought into it, to be honest with you.
0: I wish we did. I like, you know, often people will talk about like, oh, you can sign yourself up to go serve in the military, but you can't yeah. have a beer, right? And like yeah. that comparison is made all the time. And I'm just thinking about like, you can't have a beer, but you can read erotica. Like, what are these arbitrary? You can't gamble. Yeah, they're so arbitrary. But only and in usually, some places.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to say. There's there's political motivations behind every single thing. I'm sure the more we knew, the the more we would be just you know, flabbergasted at the arbitrary nature of these ideas. Yeah. Um, And I think society generally reflects the uh, absurdity of a lot of these, you know, uh, just very opaque ideas. For example, like I mean, there's plenty, obviously, plenty of people who drink before they're 21. Right. Plenty of people who are, you know, in- engaging with erotica and porn before they're 18. Whatever. I think it's just, I think it's to try to make things clean. But yeah, from your per- from like to make your point, I don't think there's, I think there's way more politics and a and lot less thought. I mean, per the usual,
0: <laughs> right? You know, right.
1: unfortunately, yeah.
0: I wish we could do a study on this of like when the average, like if there was a way to have a big enough sample size in a study and like when the average person, regardless of gender, kind of comes to a point where they are naturally exploring these things or having responses like I did with Gossip Girl, you know? Like, Like when is it naturally happening on a really zoomed out large scale? I
1: mean, it's puberty, 100%. Right, Yes. Yeah. Like there's, uh, to me, there's not any question. And that's the way we're biologically wired. I mean, that's why boys who go through puberty start, you know, having ejaculations in the night. And that's why girls start responding to that, to, you know, erotic material. I mean, that's, that's when the hormones sort of start doing their thing truly for reproduction. And I mean, that's, it's science. Like I don't, there's not a lot else to it personally.
0: No, I really appreciate you saying that because I I think that, you know, I, and I've talked about this before, but for anybody who hasn't heard, um, I lost my virginity, which I hate that term, but for lack of a better, I had sex for the first time, uh, when I was 14 and Uh a lot of people, when I share that are like, Oh my God, that's so young. And then my follow-up is I got my period when I was nine. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, hormonally speaking, I was five years into right. puberty before I had intercourse. Yeah. And I was with someone who I had developed this beautiful relationship. It was a wonderful mm. thing. I had had years of sex ed because thank God my mom like put me in yeah. private sex ed at a young age. Um, and so for me, the 9 to 14 was five years. For someone who doesn't get their period until they're 15, of course yeah. 14 sounds Young, yeah. A little, yeah. <laughs> so like, I, I yeah. think it's just so important to like zoom out and remember that we're all wired differently and hormonally and all of these things and that there isn't just one age. Like we can't put a number, like you said, it's, it's puberty and that happens for yeah. different people at different times, at different times. I mean, it's like having a
1: baby. It's like, I don't, I don't, I mean, and and people and, and we as women even like to, you know, uh, put a lot of sort of judgments on on different things but i think you're exactly right there's not a one time that's right for everyone i think that's what's you know beautiful about humanness humanity right um, is that we're all on an on an individual journey but yet we can still find so much connection during that individual journey and yep. on that individual individual journey and i think what's important is were, you know, uh, what was that? Ex- how was that experience for you? And you shared that it was a, a, a beautiful thing. So that's what matters. Not, not yeah. some sort of other, other piece of data.
0: Thank you for that. Yeah. It's yeah. really unbelievable. Whenever I talk about it, I would say like 90% of people's responses are like, Oh, you were such yeah. a baby. And then I like show them a picture of myself at 14 and they're like, you oh. look kind of the same. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I know. Like it yeah it's wild it is okay, wild so to and wrap us up i have up, a 12 but, almost
1: 13 year old daughter and her friends look like they're in college i mean they are beautiful like they're like understand all about everything like how and i'm just like oh my gosh like it's impressive yeah. but yeah it's a i mean it's a different ball game and i think we Think you know if we are to think back at ourselves at different ages, you know I think that your impression of yourself at an age is much different than your parents' <laughs> impression, and probably the people that you're talking to and about have more of that context than than the ch- the children's impression. Well, One hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> yes.
0: yeah, yeah. So if you could leave everybody today listening with one thing about erotica, about women's health, about Rosie, what do you want to leave them with today?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I'll just double down on the erotica idea, which is to say that, you know, women oftentimes are uh, come to Rosie and come to their physicians and and talk about amongst one another, their struggle with, you know, particularly desire is when we hear about most often, and I think it's so exciting to understand that there's different ways to experience desire. Some people like 14 year olds experience a lot of spontaneous desire because they're have, you know, very seemingly, which is actually not true, but they don't have the commitments that we do um, as adults. They don't have the time sort of, you know, they're not strapped for time, but also their hormones are like really, really kicking. And as we get older and those things start to get out of, out of that balance where our hormones are not really, really kick in and we have a ton of other obligations, oftentimes we can experience lower desire than we wish we had. And I think it's really exciting to understand that you can use erotica as a tool to kickstart responsive desire, where if you want to be experiencing sex more often with yourself or with a partner or partners, you can use erotica as a tool to accomplish that. And that's just so freeing because there's no side effects. It's very inexpensive. Yeah. Um, And it allows you to kind of explore other sexual ideas and options that maybe in real life, you know, aren't, aren't part of your sexual menu. So I think it's uh, something that, you know, a tool that everyone should, should know about and feel free to explore um, for for their own sexual health.
0: Oh, I love it. And for, anyone listening, we will put a link to Rosie so you can download the app and check it out and also follow Dr. Lindsay Harper on Instagram. We'll put all of that info in the show notes. Thank you so much for doing this with me. This was such a fun and wonderful conversation and I'm just so, so glad you're in my life and Ah. that we get to share this with everybody. I know. Well, thank you so much for
1: having me. Like I said, always enjoy our time together. And I just uh, am so appreciative of all the work that you're doing and how you've also helped us um, on the, on the Rosie platform as well. So thank you so much, Rachel.
0: Thank you. Right back at you. That's all for today. You sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together.